This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Diego ready to go with the first pitch on its way. Swing and a line drive left side of the infield. Fielded by Wendell. He made the catch! Rays win! Rays win! Rays win! And they're on their way to the American League Championship Series as they knock off the New York Yankees 2-1. to one. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Just a swing and a drive, hit well in the air towards right. Mookie Betts going back to the wall. Gone! A first-inning homer for Randy Arozarena, number 10 of the postseason. It's one nothing Rays. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good evening. Welcome to our show. Today we will chat about the trading deadline with Eric Neander, Mark Topkin, and also Pete Abraham of the Boston Globe. Pete Fairbanks will join us. He'll discuss the good news regarding his injury. We'll chat with Durham's Dietrich Enns about his terrific season to date and visit with MLB Vice President and Special Assistant to the Commissioner, Billy Bean. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and our featured guest this week is someone you know from the podcast that he hosts with yours truly and that would be pete fairbanks and first of all good to see you and i'm glad to hear that things are relatively good on the health front yeah good news from the mri uh got a little little shot in the arm and hopefully uh you know we're we're able to get a positive response to that and, and kind of get moving from there so are you hopeful that 10 days is all you need or what, what's your realistic hope on this yeah, I would say hopefully somewhere in that in that ten to fourteen, fifteen range. Um, I would hope. You know, it depends on you know how we kind of bounce back these next couple of days of, of rest and getting past any sort of you know residual pain and you know fatigue, range of motion loss. But uh, yeah, moving past that, I think if that, if there's a positive response over these next couple of days and we can get back to uh, to throwing relatively quickly, I don't see why it couldn't be a pretty short stint. Was there a feeling of relief? Once you got through that, and I know you've been through your uh, a litany of things over the course of your career you've had to deal with. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, you know, talking to Joe and, and still was still very, it was similar to what I dealt with earlier in the year, but still was, it was a very foreign spot and type of pain, loss of range of motion for me. So in, in terms of having an answer as to what that was and that it wasn't any, you know, structural damage was, was good. And here we are, we have gotten through the trading deadline. You were a guy who two years ago came over at the deadline. Can you kind of pull yourself back and remember what that was like for you and, and what went on when you got the news that you were coming here? Yeah, so I was uh, I was the under-the-radar deal that happened about, what was I, I think I got traded on like the 13th or 14th um, in 19. And, yeah, I mean, it. you know, the, the biggest thing that stood out for me with that in terms of, you know, kind of setting an expectation for what I was getting into was when, you know, just having the calls that I did with, you know, Neander and Snides and Cash and that immediate, you know, day of, of getting traded and hearing what they had to say and what they thought, you know, I can and could be moving forward. So, yeah, it, it's it's a very much a foreign feeling for it to when it happens. 
Um, but I think that, you know, when it does, there, there's people on that end that think that you can be a, a very valuable and viable piece for uh, what they're trying to do moving forward. So when was it or how long was it before you got comfortable with this organization and the environment around you? Yeah, um, you know, I think it, it took a couple of weeks of adjustment, obviously, at the AAA level, just because uh, you're meeting new guys. And once you, you know, once you kind of get past that, that, uh, that phase where you're, you know, kind of trying to figure out everybody and get back into, you know, that clubhouse vibe that, you know, you've, you've had in the past with where you previously were. And, and once you work into that, you know, and kind of see how things roll and how you fit in with everybody, um, it was a pretty quick adjustment, obviously. And then, oh, pardon me, I got, I was up for a weekend before we needed some more length than 19. And that kind of gave me a good primer for, you know, the, the big league club. And then I felt like by that, you know, that month of September was good. It was another good, you know, time to kind of kind of fit in and, and see what it was like with that group of guys at least. And then, you know, showing up in 20 was, uh, it was a similar group, but obviously different because, there, you know, there's turnover every year. So, yeah, I'd say that, you know, coming into the spring in, in 20 was, you know, where I kind of fully, you know, got my footing and felt like I had a, I, I knew where I was and what I was, what I wanted to do. And still had to deal with, obviously, a lot of different challenges because it was the year of COVID, too, on top of that. Yeah, and last year, we all know, was a very interesting predicament um, since we're still dealing with some of, not so much, uh, you know, with the fans and, and protocols and everything now as we did last year and, and early on this year. But it is a, uh, it's it's still still different. It doesn't feel quite like it did before uh, in 19. So it's... Uh, yeah, 20 was weird, and 21 were finally kind of kind of starting to see some semblance of normalcy. Over all of that period, you've gotten a chance to work with Kyle Snyder. As someone who stands, what, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, how much does it help to have a pitching coach who you can look eye-to-eye pretty much and, and knows what you've been through because he went through so many injuries himself as a pitcher? You know, I, I think that Snyder has been a, a huge influence on me over these, these past two-plus years. Yeah, to have somebody that, that relates to you and knows everything that you've you know you've gone through, and then um, on top of that, it's very similar to in aspects of, of personality, temperament, everything. You know, it, it definitely is. It's a it's a sense of comfort to have that in the person who's in charge of you. So uh, yeah, I know I think that we have a we have a good, very good relationship, obviously, and you know, talking every day about what we're what we're trying to do in terms of stuff, health, et cetera. When you say similar in terms of temperament, you watch you on the mound, and I find it hard to believe that Kyle has that. I mean, you've got a fiery temperament in a good way. When do you see that from Kyle? Yeah, he's he's a little bit more laid back than I am, but in terms of I think that you, he definitely has some, some fire there. And, I, you know, I heard it from Mish, who said, who's the biggest uh, – or Mish – Dworkin, our, our bullpen catcher, obviously, was the one that first he was like, you guys are like the same guy. And I was like, I mean, if you, I'll take your word for it. You've known him a lot longer than I have. But, yeah, there's definitely some, some fire there. It might obviously not be as, uh, as present when he, when he runs out to the mound, but it's definitely there. You know, some would even say they don't know you, and they could say you have almost an intimidating look on the mound. Who is someone that you would be intimidated or geeked out to talk to, whether it's when you were a kid, baseball-wise, or I don't know, uh, someone who's in the entertainment industry. What what actually would intimidate you to have a conversation with someone? Yeah, I, I don't know. 
I mean, I think that there's a ton of the all the big name guys are kind of in any sort of you know entertainment sports industry. It's almost more of a I feel like a how like the the approachability factor versus like actually getting into like a conversation is more so like how does it start? So I, I don't know. I think you know in terms of a kid, in terms of who I always wanted to watch, just in that sense, probably like a Yachty, a Poolhos, a Jason Isringhausen. I watched Papelbon a lot as a kid since I'm looking at Red Sox jerseys right now. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that it's, you know, it's almost more of those people that you that you looked up to as a kid that would kind of bring that out versus, you know, somebody that you've, you were acquainted with later on um, in the journey. When did you see baseball as a possible career? And, and was there any other sport, since I know you played other sports as a kid, that you thought, you know, you may choose over baseball? Um yeah, my dad told people that I was going to play at Mizzou since, like, I was two. So, I don't know. I This is what I've always wanted to do and kind of what I always, you know, set my my dreams and aspirations towards. I, I wanted to be a catcher, believe it or not. That was my I, – I liked catchers and closers. Those were my two uh, – the two that I watched the most uh, growing up. But, yeah, you know, I if I had uh, – if it had been a different world, I probably would have tried to play basketball because I, you know, I love it. I still do. I try and play every off season. Get out to uh, there's some there's some outdoor outdoor spots that I'll go to uh, and shoot around whenever I, I get an off day or a little bit of time. But yeah, I don't know. I think baseball has been uh, it's been pretty close to it for me for as long as I can remember. So are you like a, a fan of KD, um, Steph? Who's your who's your guy in, in hoops? Um, yeah, I mean, KD is fun to watch just because there's not really anything else like him in terms of um, the skill set and size on the offensive end. Um, I like watching Booker. Liked, I watched Gordon Hayward for a while when he, more so early on, kind of right after his Butler run. Um, that was when I was, let's see, I think that was a 2011. I'm pretty sure that was a 2011 uh, Final Four that he kind of went on that run, and that was when I was a junior in high school. So that you know, watched him, KD, Booker, Kobe, obviously, while he was uh, you know still playing. Um, and then uh, you know, obviously, you, there's the older generation that you've seen, like the Bird, the Magic, the the uh, MJ, in terms of just being dumbfounded by some of the highlights that you go back and see just watching that. Yeah, it's been. Uh, I haven't been able to watch as much uh, NBA as I like to, obviously, with these past two years and kind of how the schedules have stopped uh, being separate for at least part of it. I did always try when Isaac was first born back. I don't know, was that the winter of nineteen? I would we were trying to do all his tummy time um, watching NBA games, trying to really get that uh, imprinted on him at a young age. What uh, what does it mean for you to be a dad, and how much do you enjoy that now, and how much has it changed you? Yeah, um, uh, it definitely makes me feel like I have to be marginally more responsible. Um, my wife is is for sure the more responsible of the two of us. Uh, and it was definitely, a, you know, for me, just with how having younger members in the family and then some of Lydia's cousins who were younger, the first, you know, that first year, year and a half where you're still trying to figure, like, it was tougher for me than I think it was for her. Just because I'm much more of the type that likes to rough house and chase and trying to get him to throw stuff, et cetera. But, yeah, now that, you know, he's, he's a little over a year and a half now, so he's kind of really getting into the, the activity and, and gross motor skills. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun over these past uh, 
these past couple months as he's really kind of kind of getting into it. And since you brought up Lydia, how much has it helped to be married to someone who herself was a college athlete and understands when you go through tough moments, when you go through good moments, and when you go as currently, you know, working your way back from the injured list? Yes. Uh, I would say right now at least it helps more that she has an occupational therapist background because she then starts bouncing everything she can possibly think of, of about health off of me. Um, but, yeah, it, what, you know, I think makes Lid special – at least in terms of, of in the in the parameters of the question, is how she's you know very willing to accommodate what I think I need to do to you know be as prepared as I can going into the season during the, during the season, etc. You know, it, um, I feel like that it's very gracious of her and, and understanding for her to be able to you know when I want to go play catch on Christmas morning after we've opened our presents, she's okay with that, even though she you know might not think that I have to it's something that I you know I feel like I don't want to waste you know any time that I can be it in the off season or during the season to continually get better and I I think that she's wonderful and everything that she does in that regard is amazing well we're glad to be able to sit down with you here we hope that whatever Lydia bounces off you leads to (laughs) a very quick return to the to the field and uh, it's great to do this in person since we always do our podcast over uh, StreamYard. So it's nice to sit down with you on This bit, Week in Rays Baseball. A little, a little bit easier than StreamYard. <laughs> That's Pete Fairbanks. And hopefully you're listening to his podcast as well. We'll come back with more of This Week in Rays Baseball right after this. No horsing around. This is the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball. We're joined now by Eric Neander. And Eric, let's put in context. You had a very busy July where do you think the club is better now than it was at the beginning of the month? I mean, the, the Nelson Cruz acquisition is is one that you know, as as proven a bat as you're gonna as you're gonna find with a lineup fit that is as good as we were gonna find. Uh, so certainly something that significantly helps our offense versus versus both sides. Um, you know, be, beyond that, you know, I think. Today's acquisition, the deadline here, Jordan Luplo gives us another option to be in our mix against left-handed pitching with a really good history of performance against left-handed pitching to further strengthen that group but have some flexibility. He's lived the platoon role, all of that. You know, it was, that was something that was important to, to strengthen our, our options against left-handed pitching. feel like we had improved that. feel like we improved our offense. And... You know, on the on the pitching side, I think we you know no no addition to the starting rotation, but improved our numbers out of the pen, uh, and and depth is going to be really important. Depth in many respects in our pen saved us the first four six weeks of the season when we lost our entire pen. Those guys stepped up, and you know there those aren't the big moves that get attention, but the DJ Johnsons, the Sean Armstrongs, those those can really help us navigate the next two months and getting back out to a full-length season that we didn't experience last year. Before we get to some of those names, let's go with the the trade you made the day before the deadline, and that was the Diego Castillo deal. What led to it, and why do you think it'll work for you now and in the future? Yeah, it, not, not an easy decision by by any means, and not going to pretend otherwise on that. I, I think the best way that could summarize it is you know what what we've seen out of JT Chargois this year um, has been really encouraging. And, you know, midseason, I feel like he's got a, a lot of arm strength left, hasn't been used too heavily, um, you know, didn't appear with their big league club until, you know, a month into the season or so. So 
anticipate him fresh. The execution, the fastball command right now looks like it's continuing to tick up, and, you know, that comes with confidence sometimes. And uh, wipeout slider that he can lean on, use both ways. Just just feel really good about him being a difference maker, pen option within our group. And obviously we gave up a difference maker, pen option um, in, in Diego. And I think, you know, really in both sides, I think would describe it the same way, that one has a track record, one does not. We're, we're comfortable with, with JT going forward, or we wouldn't have made that deal. Uh, we don't want to pull back from our team in that sense. That's really important. Um, but for the difference in track record, we were able to add a prospect in Austin Shetton that we think really highly of, that can really hit, really hit, and anticipate helping us uh, over the next few years. Is the deal not very different from the one in 19 involving Nick Anderson? Maybe the fans knew Ryan Stanick and what he had accomplished, and a different role, certainly. But in, in this case, longer, you know, the track record for Ryan is a little longer than Big Lisa and Nick. Obviously a lot longer for Diego than JT in terms of success, but you like the stuff a little more maybe. Yeah, it, you know, I, it's an interesting comparison and one that at least in the hour after the deadline or however it is, my, my brain hasn't recharged and <laughs> turned back on to, uh, to really think about those things. But uh, that's I, I think that's valid. I, I think in the pen, over time, we've... You know, we're, we're really fortunate to have you know a lot of key contributors take on big roles out there that you know didn't have a whole lot of previous success prior to getting to us, and we've taken chances on a lot of guys, and they've been pretty good about rewarding us. And I think in in that respect, uh, hopeful that, that JT can find success with our pitching group here and follow a similar path. DJ Johnson, what did you like about him? He pitched here in the doubleheader. What made him attractive to you guys? Because you gave up a guy who really had come around in Peyton Battenfield this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that deal placed value on both Jordan Luplo and, you know, on, on, on DJ. Uh, on DJ specifically, someone just keeping an eye on him. The command kind of been here, been there. Um, a little bit of a bumpy journey the last few years from Colorado playing thin air. You know, Asia, and so on and so forth. But uh, keep an eye on him in the spring. Was encouraged to change up uh, pitch that really seemed to just start taking off for him, finding comfort, not just in the action on the pitch, but the command of it that has our attention. A good breaking ball and a very playable fastball. So, like the ingredients, um, feel like, you know, a lot underneath them. A former Ray, long, long ago, uh, signed by Paul Kirsch. And uh, a lot of history there, but um, someone that, that we feel is well-equipped um, to, you know, when the opportunities is and the bell rings, that there's ingredients there that I think could establish himself to be a really helpful major league contributing reliever. Sean Armstrong is a guy we've seen a lot with Baltimore. Is he someone that maybe you guys can tweak? that you figure you can help them a lot because the stuff appears to be good. Yeah, you know, sometimes the fresh start's huge, you know, and it's obviously this year with Baltimore, uh, for Sean didn't go very well last year. He threw the ball really well and uh, actually was someone we talked about <laughs> last deadline as a, as a depth reinforcement. Things didn't materialize on that, but, um, you know, it kept tabs on him for a little while. Uh, Durham happened to see him here. I believe it was last night, if I can keep my days straight. The stuff was big. It was up quite a bit like you know the the breaking balls the spin he can put on a ball the fastball to more power and just a guy that like sometimes that mental reset that fresh start you know zeroing out the stat line in and of itself can do wonders you know you see that with like a Matt Whistler you know coming here and just like that I, I don't know how much different he is but you know putting everything back to zero and and letting it take shape again sometimes that can in and of itself be a really powerful thing so you just you just never know with with bullpen pieces and 
uh, these are guys that that we like the ingredients. Um, we think in a fresh you know, start environment that they have the chance to to find new success and build on that. How much of what you did and didn't do had to do with the health of guys coming back, either injured relievers, Chris Archer, and so on? Yeah, I mean, Arch is a little bit closer, so that was certainly a factor in what we've seen out of him. But I think, by and large, I think we tried to look at our injured players as high on them as we are, and there are many of them, unfortunately, but fortunately that they're coming back. Uh, all as a bonus. You know, if they come back and they return to full strength, that's that's a bonus. You know, that's something that can only enhance the strength of our team and our depth. Uh, but I think it was important for us to go about this deadline and this is it you know what you have is what you have at this point and to make sure that if no one returns that we feel good about what we have and we don't have that regret as we're chasing a division from the pitching side starting pitching wise you're giving obviously Luis Patino a lane you mentioned Chris Archer does the confidence in the Dietrich Enzes of the world the Shane Boz if you need him even though they're non-rostered right now also factor into maybe why you didn't add a starting pitcher yeah yeah it's you want to let those guys continue to to grow and Dietrich is very well you know I mean has very much put himself on our radar and on the map it's hard not to the way he's throwing the ball frankly um but it it does help you, you never know that's it's a, it's a big jump you know, success in AAA doesn't guarantee any sort of success in the big leagues, but it's a pretty good indicator oftentimes. And, you know, from someone like Shane to you know, Tommy Romero to, you know, Tobias Myers is up there now and and Dietrich um, coming from a different path, you know, that, that certainly helps. And you never know which one's going to pop, whichever one's going to take those steps forward over the months ahead. But they – in totality they give us the confidence that you know we're, we're going to be okay if we have to tap into some of that depth and that goes for not only chasing the division down but the postseason obviously yeah you know like we got a uh, our, our immediate goal is to win the division you know that's that's our focus that's our priority and if we're fortunate enough to win the division then obviously that puts you in a better spot to go deeper in the postseason um, to win a World Series than the wild card game. You know, both paths are doable, but yeah, certainly that's that's very mindful and making sure that's an extra month of games, hopefully, that we're well equipped for it and feel that we will be. Well, your immediate goal really is to get some sleep, so why don't you do that? We appreciate some time on this week in race baseball. I appreciate that. I'll uh, see what I can do tonight after this big game here. Time now to take a look at the week gone by and joining me one Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Topper, thanks very much for a few minutes and what certainly has been a busy news week for sure. Yeah, between uh, some of the injury issues and then the trade deadline, obviously, and, and um, just who the team has played and how they've played, it's been a very, very interesting busy week. From your standpoint, Mark, two months left in the regular season to be in first place where the Rays are at now with all the injuries they've had, with all the adversity they've had to deal with, how impressive has that been to you? Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that they you know, took over first place last night and, and have weathered just a ridiculous string of injuries to pitchers. I mean, I think there's 15 pitchers on the injury list right now. No, obviously some of those were guys that were hurt last year, and you know, it's been a carryover type thing. But you know, I think Jeff Springs getting hurt last night is the fifth reliever in the last five weeks to, to be on, you know, be down sideline and put on the injured list. And yeah, you know, this was a bullpen that already was shuffled and, and used heavily to begin with, and now they are really touching all aspects of their depth and having to bring new guys in. You know, as we talked, even on Friday, DJ Johnson, he's here tonight. Yeah, Rays really have had to go deep into their their pool. In fact, I noticed today that you know, looking back, they've only got two guys who are on the opening day roster in their bullpen who are here, and that's Ryan Sheriff, who hasn't been here very much, and Andrew Kittredge, who obviously has played 
an incredibly big role. What, you you wrote about it today. You wrote about it during the week. What was your biggest takeaway from the trading deadline, Mark? Well, you know, I, I, and I did kind of make this point today seven eight times. I think if, if the week had gone or the, the last nine days had gone in reverse and the Rays had made some small moves or did nothing last week and then on Friday traded for Nelson Cruz, it would have been you know celebrated and written up as one of the biggest deals of the day. You know, probably on par with the Yankees getting you know Gallo and Rizzo in the last couple of days, and uh, the Blue Jays getting Barrios, things like that. But because the Rays made their move early, there was a lot of you know at least fan reaction on social media, which is not always the best gauge. But the Rays didn't do anything, and so that part was surprising. I think on the other hand, it was a little surprising that they didn't do anything to further secure their pitching. I just heard your your fine interview with uh, Eric Neander, and you know he made a lot of good points why and there are some interesting arms at triple a that we really haven't talked about in romero and myers and things like that but you know as far as looking at this team what would be the rotation in a key series down the stretch what would be a playoff rotation and with tyler glass now you know now not expected to be back if he has the tommy john surgery it's going to be some young unproven guys i mean you might be opening up with you know mcclanahan yarborough and patino let's say or walk up Last year, you opened the series with Snell, Morton, and Glass now. So for different reasons, it's going to be a lot different look. A lot different look, but also a lot different lineup. And the Rays have now scored 30 runs in three games, and you can't count on that, you know, assuming you get to the postseason. But the Nelson Cruz impact, how big do you think it's been in this first stretch that he's been with Tampa Bay? Yeah, I think it's going to have a big impact. He hasn't done that much. He's hit the two home runs, and, you know, we've seen him strike out a handful of times these last couple games here, and I assume that's just him getting comfortable and adjusted. But, you know, the the impact with Nelson Cruz, and we've talked about it on the air, we've written about it in the Tampa Bay Times, it goes beyond what he's going to do when he's in the batter's box. Now, ultimately, though, that's the bottom line. How much is he going to produce? But, you know, just to see him today walking off the field with Wander Franco, joking around after a round of batting practice, they took some extra swings against the curveball machine. And, you know, that I think there's just going to be an intangible benefit to some of the young players. And, you know, Wander Franco, and even a guy like Manny Margot, who's a little bit older and more established, his players from the Dominican Republic, Nelson Cruz is like one of the guys right now. I mean, after Albert Pujols, he's like the next most accomplished player active from the Dominican Republic. And I don't know if we maybe appreciate the respect and admiration that the Dominican Republic players have for Nelson Cruz and, and how big a deal it is for them to be on his team. And they're going to soak up every word he has to say. And who knows how long it is before people are talking that way about Wander Franco. You wrote about Wander today, his kind of first month in the big leagues, and obviously the last two days he's been extremely impressive. What stood out to you as you wrote this piece about Wander that was in today's Tampa Bay Times? You know, I, I think talking, you know, first of all, to get an appreciation for how hard the jump he's making really is. And you know, Kevin Cash said that in the current game, which I think is definitely a reference to the quality and quantity of pitching, that the jump from AAA to the big leagues is, is tougher than anyone can imagine. And look, you don't have to look very far to see that. I mean, Taylor Walls and Vidal Brujan are pretty good minor league players, and they didn't really do all that well when they were up here. And Walls was more of a roster shuffle, maybe, because his defense has been great, but his offense wasn't great. And you know, we've seen some of these guys adjust. So what Benino had to say about that, and I was able to uh, get a hold of Alex Rodriguez, who's here in the building tonight uh, with the ESPN as the analyst. But, you know, he, he said, you know, he was he did it at 18, and he said he went from his high school prom to facing Roger Clemens. And kind of think about that, Neil, and, you know, the context of things like that. And Wanda Franco at 20 years old and, and having played, you know, mostly at the lower level of the minors until this year. So maybe we all need to appreciate what he's doing and, yeah, you know, the talent is there, and the Rays are obviously betting heavily the talent's going to win out. And 
you know, the patience that it may take. But we've seen some at-bats. That at-bat last week against Geraldus Chapman and the at-bat here last night where he went from 0-2 to full count against Evaldi and delivered the RBI triple. He's really had some very mature at-bats. Yeah, and big moments, too. Uh, and tonight is a big moment. I mean, you you covered the Rays since the beginning. To have a Sunday night game at home for the first time in 10 years, what's your take on the meaning of it all? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, these guys, you know, they were in the World Series last year. They play on national TV a lot. We, we know that. But during the regular season, you may have games that are picked up on national TV, but there's always other games going on. So I think there's still some cachet to being on Sunday night baseball because you're the only game on TV that night. And, you know, does that mean that anybody is going to, like, come out and try harder or throw harder or swing better? No, none of that. But I think these guys, look, we all know them. They're, they're a very prideful group, Major League Baseball players. And, you know, mm-hmm. the guys that especially have family in other parts of the country that don't see them all that much, um, you know, I, I think for them it is going to be kind of a big deal to get a chance to play on that stage. Mark, great stuff. We welcome people to read the articles you wrote today in the Times about Tyler Glass now, Wander Franco, and a whole lot more. Thanks for a few minutes here uh, on This Week in Race. Anytime, Neil. Sounds good. That's Mark Topkin at the Tampa Bay Times. Let's move now to the minor league stage where, as we heard from Eric Neander, Dietrich Enns continues to impress. And, Dietrich, we certainly appreciate a few minutes tonight. Hey, Neil. Thanks for having me. Uh, great to chat with you. When we first spoke, it was not long after you had signed with the organization. So how have things maybe lived up to your hopes, expectations to this point in terms of how you've grown and what you've learned? Uh, it's been a great experience this year. been in Durham um, this whole year but and, and earlier at the alt site. But um, it's been great to come back to the Rays and just really have a second year with them and, and focus on the things that we were working on last year and Really, the mindset of just, you know, attacking hitters and getting ahead has been huge for me and uh, for some success this year. How helpful is Rick Knappin and what are some of the things that, if anything, that he's tweaked or helped you advance? Oh, he's been great. Um, it's been awesome to work with him every day and in my side sessions and just talking to him in between innings and just, you know, seeing what he sees from hitters and, you know, from my stuff. Um, he's really helped me uh, sharpen up my curveball and just really, you know, keep my, my focus uh, as simple as possible. And that's just getting ahead of guys and uh, attacking guys. You know, what's been most impressive from afar is looking at your strikeout numbers. You were never what I would call a huge strikeout pitcher at the minor league level, yet this year you've got probably one of your best seasons ever in that regard. What do you think has changed? What's allowed you to have more swing and miss? Well, there, I think it's a, a, a handful of things. First of all, I think some added below than in years past has definitely helped. Working on some mechanical adjustments over the last few off seasons has really made a velo uptick. So I think everything, I mean, not just my fastball, but everything is kind of ticked up a little bit higher. So I think that uh, definitely plays a factor. More importantly, I think is just getting ahead of guys. I feel like concentrating on getting ahead, limiting walks and limiting three ball counts has been huge for me and just getting the two strikes and make execute pitches with uh, two strikes is really um, been the path for me to get more strikeouts than than usual. I think when we first spoke to you, you talked about all the mechanical adjustments you made and and, and the work you put in to, you know, really adjust your body and and add that velocity. How much has the success you've had now at the AAA level this year kind of really justified all the work that you've done and, and showed how much you've grown? Yeah, it definitely justifies it and helps me know that I'm on the right path. And so my routine hasn't changed much from last year of just different exercises, different drills, different mobility drills that I'm doing just to try and stay as mobile as I can and, you know, as healthy as I can. So 
Um, and I've been feeling great. So it's, it's definitely, uh, been awesome to see the results play out on the field too. So, um, you know, backing what I've been doing in the off seasons. Has the velo even ticked up since let's say the start of spring training and the start of the alternate site, where are you right now? Yeah, I'd say my average fastball is anywhere from 93, 94, topping up to 96, maybe even a 97 here or there. I, I don't get like the pitch by pitch. I kind of just get the, the average uh, velo reports and, but yeah, I feel like uh, it's been it's been good. Just trying to stay there and uh, you know continue to improve with just all all aspects of my work and and everything like that. How much has the environment helped? You know, I've talked to several guys on your club this year, and you know, some say it's the best minor league team they've ever been involved with. You know, I look up and down the system, and every Rays minor league affiliate is either in first place or tied for first place right now. How much does the winning environment help you grow? Do you think? Oh, I think it plays a huge factor. And Brady Williams, our manager, is, uh, you know, at the forefront of that, well, you know, the clear message that he expects us to play hard and expects us to win. So uh, it's it's good to see. And, you know, we're here to develop into Major League Baseball players, but at the same time, we can have fun doing it and have have a good culture of, of winning on, on the field, too. So it's been uh, it's been awesome to see. It's been, yeah, definitely one of the best teams I've ever played on with the Durham Bulls, and we have talent up and down this lineup. And I know from a, a competitive standpoint, the the reputation is is that the, the pitchers in the race system compete, but they compete to help one another. What's that environment been like? I know Shane Boss is at the Olympics now, but you had him, and you've got, uh, you know, Brent Honeywell, and you had Joe Ryan before the trade. You've got some really, you know, really other good talent along with you. Yeah, no, it's um, at the AAA level, it can be um, difficult to pull for guys because guys are, you know, going up to the big leagues and not. But I, I don't really feel that with this team at all. Guys are really pulling for each other um, to do well. And it shows because, uh, you know, you've had a lot of guys have success. Everybody's happy for each other. Um, whether it be Joe Ryan and Boss going to Team USA or guys going up to the big league, like everyone's uh, truly pretty happy for each other and wants each other to succeed on the field. On that same end, I've seen some of the videos when guys have gotten their call up, and it seems that guys truly are genuinely excited. And not only that, but I'm guessing that you're following what's going on up here as the race fight for a playoff spot in hopes of helping. Yeah, one, yeah, a couple that stood out were Taylor Walls in Durham and uh, Wander Franco's call-up. Those were really special for those guys and just to be a part of it as a team member, um, to see, you know, the joy from everybody else, too, that to see those guys go up and then, you know, produce at the major league level. And uh, so that has been really a, a special special couple of moments um, in those guys' careers. For the Rays, uh, yeah, we're, we're paying attention to how they're doing. You know, we have the games on uh, in the clubhouse or, you know, guys will be checking the scores um, as soon as our games end just to see how the team's doing and seeing what's going on. So guys are definitely uh, locked in to seeing how the Rays are doing. And for you, this year, you've gotten to do something somewhat unique, which the Rays do a lot. You've pitched as a starter. You've pitched in front of, you know, with an opener in front of you. How has that adjustment been? It looks like it hasn't really altered how you've pitched or, or your results at all. Yeah, I've been in a few uh, few different roles here, and that's kind of the Rays' way. Uh, I've had a, few, a little experience in the past when I was with the Twins. I had an opener. Um, in college, I was actually a reliever, so, like, I have a lot of experience coming out of the bullpen and in spring training, like, coming out of the bullpen. So just take those experiences and um, try and treat it the same as starting. Uh, I've told the Rays, and, like, I, I, I'm willing to pitch wherever, whenever, and uh, just try and treat an inning like an inning and not really put – too much uh, emphasis on what inning it is or anything like that. So really trying to be as available as possible. Do you adjust your daily routine 
Dietrich when you come out of the bullpen but are pitching really as a starter, just not beginning the game? No, the routine doesn't really change much. It's still like I'm throwing a, a bullpen in between starts or in between outings. And uh, if I know I'm going to have an opener, I'll uh, still warm up before the game as if I'm starting. But uh, just go out in the bullpen and then hang out with the guys in the bullpen until it's my turn to, to, go, to pitch. So I really try and limit uh, the differences and not have too many things change in my routine just to, so I can know I'm, I'm doing the right things. Yeah, I was curious about that because for some guys – Maybe not, let's say, the days two through five uh, on the day they don't pitch, but on that one day, some guys might alter how they get ready to go into the game if they know they're going in the second inning or the third inning versus you're starting the game on the mound. I've still just warmed up before the game like I'm starting, and then I'll go uh, cool off and w- uh, wait in the bullpen until you know the opener's done or until they call down and tell me I'm, I'm in the game. So um, it doesn't take me long to get ready. So I don't need a full like pregame bullpen like as if I'm starting. I think that's helped me just having prior experience throwing out of the bullpen. So it sounds like you've made a lot of good adjustments. Hopefully you continue to do so. And, and hopefully as well, it's not long before you're helping out this race team at the big league level. Dietrich ends. we appreciate some time on This Week in Race Baseball. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. This week, Major League Baseball Vice President and Special Assistant to the Commissioner Billy Bean visited the Rays, spoke about diversity, and threw out a first pitch, too. And I asked Billy what it meant to be back at Tropicana Field for the first time since the pandemic started. I'm, I'm humbled that, you know, the, the Rays invited me to support the effort this morning. You know, the uh, internal conversations, I think, are very important in the, uh, the evolution of, a, of an organization keeping uh, the front office uh, staff connected. So many questions, you know, we're in this weird roller coaster with COVID still. Are we, is, is it past? Is it coming back? Like whatever there and good old communication is vital. And, and so, and keeping our, you know, that helps the players relax. It helps. Uh, but for, but for me, you know, I lived in Florida for a very long time after my baseball career ended. I, I love any time I can be here. The sunshine, the grass, the water, and and uh, um, and I'm really looking forward to watching a great baseball game. And uh, and I'm, I, I feel like we had a really uh, powerful, you know, hour downstairs um, today, and really appreciate that invitation. Tell me how, in your mind we've progressed since you moved into Major League Baseball's office since 2014, and where do we have the longest road to travel, so to speak? Well, when I was brought back to baseball, I, I you know, the world has changed at the same time. You know, the, this people are, are getting used to hearing the words diversity, equity, and inclusion. When I came back to baseball, we weren't talking about those things. Corporate America wasn't really talking about those things yet. And I am, I am proud of baseball for their their commitment to to staying in front of this conversation of, of of trying to be better and to try to grow our 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 sport with people that better represent what our country looks like and and that's about communication you know my job didn't have a definition for it when i was brought back it was the thought was how can we provide a consideration for our players to really understand this amazing moment in their lives opportunity you know when you and I were young it was easy to think we would always be that way and you know we would always feel great when we got up in the morning and we could you know run fast and jump high and do all these um, things and when I was a player 
I didn't realize how hard it was to be a player until kind of when I was outside of it. So the job sort of started to define itself, and that allowed me to sort of relay back to our senior leadership my thoughts about off-field development and education and, and really what a great investment that is in our athletes. And, and so I, it's amazing to think about, but just from the, the seed of a couple of conversations and the success of those and the feedback to the, front op- or the commissioner's office from front offices like Tampa really uh, provided an opportunity to allocate resources in a way that baseball was learning that this is not only the right kind of decision, but this is going to be beneficial for us to be able to be not only relate to our fans and the people that we want to uh, introduce baseball to, but to um, have a broader voice, more voices in the room, a, a more diverse workplace, and all along help the players understand that what they say and what they do has a huge impact on the people that follow them. You spoke to the race front office, but would you say more of your work is still on the player side versus the business side, or is it starting to get more evenly split? It's it's interesting. I think the the front office conversations is more of an ancillary sort of because of my relationships with people like uh, Brian Ald, Mr. Sternberg. You know, I'm on the owners' diversity, equity, and inclusion committee. He's been, he was a chairman of that committee for five years. And there's, a, uh, I think, just a intuition that it would be a, a beneficial and impactful. There's no, like, mandated structure for any of the visits. But over the last couple of years, my job definitely is veering towards player education and off-field development. And, and uh, I'm really proud of that because um, not only is it an affirmation that this, the conversations have been successful, but... We're seeing, you know, feedback from players, players that move into coaching afterwards that they felt like this was something that really, really helped them. And, and for me, I feel like being a part of that off-field development, you know, a lot of our players arrive here so very young and their cultural backgrounds are all different. And the expectation that they all know the same thing or should know what's going on in the world is unfair to them. And I feel a great sense of responsibility to uh, be a communicator, you know, on their behalf. There's something to be said, too, for creating comfort. We have Carl Nassib, who came out as an NFL player, and we've had a recently drafted NHL player with the Predators, Luke Prokop, come out. Do you think we're any closer to seeing an active Major League Baseball player come out? And, And if so, how far are we from that, do you think? I always feel optimistic that we're right around the corner. We've had a couple of minor league baseball players come out. It's been almost, I think, Four or five years, David Denson and um, uh, Sean Conroy, they did not make it to the major leagues, so they're not on the, uh, you know, the, the platform wasn't as big for fans to know their names. But those were great signs that baseball's creating a culture that's more accepting. For someone like myself, I played in the generation before that, it never seemed like a possibility. So when you see Carl Nassib, who's a successful NFL player, who's very young, very 25 years old, and then Luke Prokop, who's only 19. Um, those are very, very promising examples. I think there's a lot of consideration, and each, each choice is different. It is, you know, this is the, this moment in time for every athlete to make the most of the opportunity. We see two examples. Um, they're not connected specifically, but you see two examples, two of the most famous female athletes in the world who literally needed to take a moment and step away and you and you when you start to understand when you invite more attention onto 
your life and career, which is what coming out is going to do, that's a big consideration. And whether you're up to it or not depends upon the individual. My job is I feel like I can't rely or hope that one player is going to move the message forward. I want our culture to continue to improve. And the way baseball looks today versus the way it looked in 2014 with the way that the, our managers conduct themselves, our general managers, our owners, comments, our clubhouses, um, the dialogue that is uh, the players understand that that's appropriate and part of the responsibility that goes with the opportunity of being in that clubhouse, it's, it's night and day different. And, and so it can only lend towards that. We're not going backwards. We're going forwards very, very fast and we just have to continue to do so until a player makes that decision. And that is Billy Bean, Major League Baseball Vice President. Let's turn now back to the field. And with me now, Pete Abraham of the Boston Globe. And, Pete, tell me, what was your take on what the Red Sox did at the deadline? I thought that they would do more to add to their rotation. They didn't really do anything to add to their rotation. They've faltered a bit, especially over the last two months. Uh, there was a lot of talk in the clubhouse, or at least among the players when we talked to them, that they thought that they would do something. They added to their bullpen uh, a couple of sort of mid-level guys, but they didn't really do a whole lot to, uh, to improve their pitching staff. And, and that It's not that it's a weakness, but it was clearly a part of the team that a lot of people thought they could shore up. And from that end, I think you documented well on Twitter, you've seen a lot of guys all of a sudden, especially in the rotation, their ERAs have jumped the last two months. What's the level of concern over the next two months? Because a lot of these guys have either had A, injury history, or B, have not had what you would call great full seasons when we've played at 162 and they're going from a 60-game schedule. Yeah, I mean, Nate Evaldi's been the you know their most consistent and best performer all season. And this is uh, he's got a six-year string of landing on the injured list at least once during the season. That hasn't happened yet this year and hopefully for his sake it doesn't but they're playing with some fire there now i guess the good news for the Sox is chris sale is going to be back at some point in august could be as early as august 10th and when you bring back a cy young award winner a cy young contender and a guy with a world series ring that makes a big difference but he hasn't pitched in two years so you don't really know how much to expect from him at least right away the, the rotation you know has eduardo rodriguez you would think at some point would become more like the guy who you know was such a big uh, factor for them in 2018 and 19 he hasn't really turned that corner yet uh, martin perez and garrett richards have had some bright spots this year but not recently and the guy who could really make a big difference is tanner Howe, who is in worcester at the moment but it was expected to return and take a prominent spot sometime soon. And obviously that would help soak up innings. How about the bullpen? I mean, they've also been relatively healthy all year long. Sawamura just came back. Is there some concern about overuse of any of those guys at this point, and do they have enough depth there? Yeah, they, they have some guys that will be coming back off the injured list. Ryan Brazier, who was a pretty consistent guy for them for several years, hasn't pitched all year because of a variety of things. He's working his way back. Man, Andres is working his way back. They feel like the players they obtained at the trade deadline, especially Hansel Robles, should help them in terms of giving their primary guys you know, maybe more days off than they've had so far. But you know, Matt Barnes and Adam Adovino, uh, Garrett Whitlock, they've all been really good so far, and they've, they've done a good job of holding leads. There's only been a few times when the Red Sox haven't been able to do that. You, at the same time, you don't want to overextend Barnes and Adovino. Uh, Whitlock is a, probably on an, an innings limit because he's coming off a of Tommy John surgery. So getting a righty and getting a lefty at the trade deadline will help them, even if you don't necessarily see those guys in the eighth or ninth inning. As you look at the division race right now, you've got the Rays and Red Sox obviously very closely packed together, a lot of head-to-head meetings remaining. Does this come down to the head-to-head meetings, or if these teams pretty much split the remaining meetings, does this basically come down to who can beat up on the, the weaker sisters of the league? Yeah, well, it was interesting to see how much the you know the Yankees and the and the Blue Jays you know went went for it 
the trade deadline with all the, the high-profile additions they made. So I don't think they're conceding anything, and the Red Sox do, you know, their, their most games remaining are against the Rays, so that, you know, you would think one way or another is going to decide things. But, you, you know, you can't dismiss the Yankees and the Jays. They're, they're going to, I think, both of those teams feel like they can make a run, whether it's against the Red Sox or against the Rays, you know, try to get one of those wild-card spots. So you have, you know, four of the five teams in a division pretty well convinced that they can make the playoffs, and, and you know, that's at, at most it's going to be three of them. So mm-hmm. somebody's going to be left out, and uh, it's going to make for an interesting last two months for sure. What do you see as the keys in the last two months from a Boston perspective? Staying healthy, they, you know, the, especially in their bullpen, getting some of their injured guys back, and, and Chris Sale. Chris Sale is the whole, I think, you know, one way or another, the, it's going to probably hinge on Sale. If he comes back and, and becomes an ace again, you know, that nobody can make a better addition than Chris Sale. If, if he, you know, takes time to come overcome Tommy John, if, he, if he's not the same pitcher that he was a couple of years ago, the Red Sox are going to have to figure out a way around that, and at this point, you know, that's going to have to come from within, because the trade deadline is hit. From a lineup standpoint, can Kyle Schwarber play first base for them? Is that realistic at this point, do you think? Oh, he seems to think so. He's very, he said he's very eager to try and talked about his experience from being a catcher and then moving to the outfield and that, you know, he's always been willing to do what it takes. He seems like he's ready to go out there, you know, today and start taking ground balls if he could. It's going to be a couple weeks before he comes back from his hamstring strain. At worst, he's going to really help them offensively. We certainly appreciate all of our guests on the program today, including Rays reliever Pete Fairbanks, Rays uh, senior Executive Vice President on the baseball side, Eric Neander, Mark Topkin, of course, of the Tampa Bay Times, Durham's Dietrich Enns, who's having a terrific year, and also Billy Bean of Major League Baseball. If you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me, at Neil Solons. On next week's show, you're going to hear from Nelson Cruz about what his first couple weeks have been like with the Rays. That and much more. Special thanks today to our producer, Jason Berenger. I'm Neil Solons. Tonight, it's the Rays and Red Sox as the Rays look to hold on to first place in the American League East. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next on the Rays Baseball Network.